Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of programs on the book of Hebrews, studying through the book verse by verse, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast where I was speaking about Hebrews chapter 9. And in the previous broadcast, the focus of my message had to do with the subject of our conscience. It had to do with whether or not we felt or whether or not we believed that we were separated from our God because of our sins. And of course, the predominant message of the Old Covenant was that you are separated from your God because of your sins. In fact, the entire infrastructure of the Levitical priesthood, the tabernacle, and the subsequent temple was built upon the premise of separating people from their God. For example, the most holy place or the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was placed could only be accessed by the high priest who would go in once a year to atone for the sins that we did not know that we committed. The Levitical priesthood, separate from the high priest, also had their role in this regard, that they continually reminded us of the sins that we did know that we had committed. That the high priest had to do with the sins that we did not know that we committed. The Levitical priesthood had to do with the sins that we did know that we committed. And together, they lived continually. The priesthoods functioned continually throughout the centuries for the purpose of reminding us that our sins were a barrier between us and our God. We certainly could not access the Holy of Holies, where our God resided, or his presence was found within the Holy of Holies, and we were, of course, prevented from having access to our God. We were prevented from having certain access to the holy place within the tabernacle as well, in addition to the Holy of Holies, the place where the table of showbread was placed and where incense was burned. We had no access to that area. Only the priests had access to that area. So this continual reminder was a continual reminder of sins. It was a reminder that we had something on our conscience, that there was something that was unresolved, That's why the people could not have a clear conscience was because of the continual reminders. Now, with the continual reminders, if a person wanted to be reconciled to their God, then they would need some means by which they could be reconciled to God. And the only way that the Hebrews could accomplish that was through their obedience or their repentance, repenting from their sins and then obeying the commandments that were issued through Moses, that were given through Moses the Mosaic Law. That was the only way that a person could pursue some sense of reconciliation with their God so that they could have a resolution to this separation between them and their God so that their conscience could be clear. But unfortunately, no one could live in obedience to the Mosaic Law to the extent that would be required in order to have their conscience cleared. It was not possible to accomplish that. There were several people who believed that they had found a way to accomplish that. The Pharisees, for example, the scribes, as another example. There were many people 
who believed that they had found a way to live a holy life to the extent where they did not sin any more, so that their conscience could be clear, so they could have a clear conscience to the extent where they could have a belief that they were reconciled to God, that they were at peace with their God. But this certainly was not true, and the Lord Jesus spent a lot of time explaining why this was not true to the people there in Israel during his ministry. Some people believed, many people did not, but he gave a very good explanation concerning this to show that there was no way that anyone could live in obedience to the satisfaction of God so that he would no longer consider himself to be separated from them so that they could be at peace and have a clear conscience. But the important point to understand here is that it was through the invocation of law or the implementation of law in a person's life that they believed that they could find a way to clear their conscience. And the writer of this letter to the Hebrews was writing this for the purpose of telling the Hebrews that they needed to separate themselves entirely from this system, that they need to completely come out of the entire system that was defined by the Mosaic law. Not to say that there was anything evil about it, but only to say that it had its purpose, and its purpose was fulfilled, and because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us, we no longer have any association with this copy, with this temporary structure that was built as a copy of the real tabernacle, the real temple, that there is a real priest, a real high priest and a real priesthood, we are his priests as a result of what he's accomplished, that we have been separated from the temple already because of what Christ Jesus did, and so we have no place there at all anymore. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to the Hebrews concerning this, and he has explained that this is the new reality because of the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins was given to us as a result of what Christ Jesus did on the cross. He died on the cross for the sins of the world, so that the entire sin issue between man and God came to an end through his crucifixion. This was described by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, when he spoke about the new covenant, and that he would be able to institute, invoke the new covenant, because he would remember our sins no more. And again, the writer of this letter to the Hebrews spoke about this in Hebrews chapter 8, where he quotes the passage in Jeremiah in order to emphasize the point that the Lord our God no longer holds our sins against us. And so if he no longer holds our sins against us, then there is no place for the Levitical priesthood to deal with the sins that we knew that we committed or that we know that we commit. And there was no place for the high priest to provide atonement for the sins that we did not know that we committed because the sin issue came to an end. That's why there is no place for the believer in the Levitical priesthood, or an association with the temple of God in Jerusalem. So the writer implores the people to separate themselves from that, to remove themselves from that, so that they can actually serve the living God. Now this was explained in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, where it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, what he's stating here is that there is a different type of service that has nothing to do with the type of service that was being conducted in the temple there in Jerusalem. There is another type of service that has nothing to do with the Mosaic law, nothing to do with it at all. In fact, 
the way that he has described this is to say that the kind of service that was presented through the Mosaic law was not the kind of service that the living God truly desired, is not the kind of service that he wants at all today either. That type of service had its place, but that service, those works that people performed, were according to him considered to be dead works, that they were not living works at all. They were dead works. They were dead. They had nothing to do with the living God who is actively participating in our lives. And the point behind this is to state that anyone can perform those kinds of dead works. All they have to do is look at the law and obey the commandments. And if they obey the commandments, then they are performing works according to the law. But as far as our God is concerned, those things are dead. And it's important to understand that any dead person, and today any lost person, can live a life according to the Mosaic Law in many ways better than others who I would consider to be saved. There are many people who I know who certainly are growing in their relationship with Christ Jesus who can never come within the remote proximity of the devotion of the Pharisees, of the scribes, of the rabbis, of the people in Jerusalem at the time of the Lord Jesus, that they simply are not going to be able to live in devotion like the people did back then. And that's okay, because that devotion, that determination, as far as our God was concerned, was dead works. There is another type of work, there is another type of service that we do in our life in Christ Jesus, and that has to do with living a life of rest, of peace, of joy, of thankfulness, because of what our God has done for us and because of what he has given to us. It has to do with living out of the abundance of what he has given to us, living our lives with what we have in him. Because if we live our lives with what we have in him, it will fundamentally change everything about our lives, about who we are, about how we live about the works that we perform, about how we engage the world that we are a part of. And the writer is explaining these things to encourage the Hebrews to walk in the new life that we now have in Christ Jesus according to the new covenant. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about what this new life is. Instead, he's just simply trying to separate the Hebrews from the temple so that they can be joined to Christ Jesus. And if they do that, then the Lord Jesus will guide his people. He will guide us just fine. He will lead us just fine. We can trust that our God really knows what he's doing when it comes to discipleship and growth and maturity. And when he said that he would complete the work that he began in us, we can trust that he will do that. I really believe that we can trust our God concerning this. But what I would like to take the time to mention in this broadcast What I would like to speak about right now is concerning our life in Christ today. Because the struggles that the Hebrews were having at the time when this letter was written are very similar to the kinds of struggles that we are having today in the culture of Christianity that we have right now. It's actually very similar. You see, instead of having the temple in Jerusalem, we have other temples today. We call them churches. We call them sanctuaries. We call them very similar things. In fact, it is almost as if what we have today is a copy of the copy that was once in Jerusalem that was a copy of the true tabernacle in heaven. In many ways, the structures and the sacraments and the operations are very similar. 
there are some distinct similarities. But what's important to understand concerning these similarities is that the result can easily be the same, that we don't have to have an exact copy of a copy. We don't need to have that. The end result in the hearts of the people ends up being the same. Because people form attachments to their churches, to their sanctuaries, to their priesthoods. And the premise on which these places are built, and the premise on which these priesthoods or pastorates are built, is the exact same thing. They are built on the premise of continually reminding people that they are separated from their God. Now, the advertisement is is that if they can get people to understand that they are separated from their God, then the priesthood can then go through a number of invocations, or the priesthood can encourage people to go through a series of procedures in order to then be reconciled to their God, and that becomes their act of service for the people. Their service or their services are built on the basis of first reminding people that they are separated from their God, and then to find some way to reconcile the people to their God, and so they'll be good for another week, in which case they can then come back the following Sunday morning, and they can go through the entire process again. Unless people are going to be extremely enthusiastic, then they can come back midweek, or perhaps they can receive their instructions that they can then follow every day in order to keep short accounts with God or to keep some sense of accountability so that perhaps they might be able to be continually united with their God through the procedures of being reconciled because of their sin in their life that continually separates them from their God. The point is this, and that is the same thing that the Hebrews were struggling with back then is the exact same thing, truly, that many people are struggling with today. And so that's why I believe that these two chapters, especially chapter 8 in Hebrews and chapter 9, can be referred to in order to encourage people to actually be united with their God and to come out of these religious practices that do nothing more than continually remind people that they are separated from their God because of their sin. And when they do that, when priests or pastors or ministers do this to people, and then when people actually believe that they are separated from their God, then they do not have a clear conscience. Their conscience is not clear because there is an unresolved matter. There is something unresolved between the individual and their God, and it has to do with their sin. And again, what are they going to do? How are they going to find some resolution concerning this? Well, that becomes the next step, which is the invocation, the implementation, the application of more law in your life where people then impose laws or principles for daily living, things like that, in order to find a way to reduce the sin in your life so that in that way, perhaps, somehow you may be able to reduce the amount of separation that you have from your God so your conscience can be a little better. Now, I've done a series of programs on this subject that I've titled Overcoming Sin. And I'd like to encourage you to listen to those programs. I'm not going to get into this subject any further in this program because of the lack of time. I'm just simply going to state that I have done work on this. And if you'd like to know how to overcome the sin in your life, or if you'd like to know the struggles that people have concerning the sins in their life and what they are trying to do in order to get the sin out of their life, those programs were produced for that purpose. But the fact of the matter is that people end up in the same routine as the Hebrews did with the temple. The exact same routine, the exact same way of life. And the priests and pastors that we have at our disposal are functioning in the same way 
that the Levitical priesthood functioned for the Hebrews in many respects. And so the solution is to come out of that, to completely remove yourself, if not physically, at least spiritually, remove yourself from all of these practices and all of these beliefs and all of these sermons and all these messages that people give that continually remind you of your sins, that continually remind you that you are separated from God, which puts you in a situation, in a position where you have to find some way to be reconciled to him again, that there must be some resolution to this, which means that you do not have a clear conscience. And the reason why is simple. This is why people fall into this trap. It's because they don't truly believe that Jesus died for their sins. They don't really believe that. I mean, if you ask them, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? They may say, yes, I believe that. And I will die believing that. They may say that. That's not the problem. The problem is not necessarily that they believe the truth. The problem is that they believe a lot of other things that are not true. It's not that they believe the truth. It's not the truths that they believe. It's the lies that they believe on top of that that contradict the truth that their sins are no longer held against them. That's the problem. That is a very serious problem. And there are so many things that people believe that leads them to believe that they are separated from God because of their sins. And so because of that, they cannot be loved by their God. They cannot be accepted by their God. They cannot be at peace with their God. And so if they cannot be reconciled to their God and live in the joy of being reconciled and live in the reality that their God loves them, then there is no way for them to be served by their God. And subsequently, there's no way for them to then be able to serve their God. That's why the writer spoke of this to the Hebrews. And the exact same problem is happening today. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, he says, How much more? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If your conscience is not cleansed, you will not serve the living God. No matter what you do to try to get your conscience clear, that will not be the service that your God is looking for. It may be works. It may be good works. But your God is going to look at those and say that they are dead works. That any dead person can do those things. You know, take a look at many congregations that are operating today. And take a look at the lives that people have in the Christian world. And ask yourself a very important question. Could any lost person live that way? I mean, do they really have to believe that there is a God? Do they really have to believe in Jesus to do those kinds of things? To serve in the way that they are serving? To live a Christian lifestyle, do they really need to believe in the living God in order to actually accomplish that? I personally do not see any evidence that shows that an unbeliever cannot live like most believers live. I don't see any evidence for that. I honestly don't. I know a lot of unbelievers who consider themselves to be good people And if I was to compare them with a lot of Christian people, I would say that they certainly are doing a much better job in their works than Christians are, than than, than some are considering. And so if you want to make comparisons, I can easily say that any dead person, any spiritually dead person, any person who does not have the indwelling presence of the life of God within them can live as any Christian does in this day and age. 
Any unbeliever can go to church more often than a believer does. Any unbeliever can sing the songs and participate in the praise and worship, can lead the praise and worship. Any unbeliever can be a pastor or a minister or a priest. Any unbeliever can do that. I have known some who have done that. This is not unusual. Have you not heard about pastors answering their own altar calls and being saved and declaring that to their congregations? This happens. This happens on occasion. I've known a lot of ministers who I've spoken to who certainly do not appear to be saved to me, but they instead have embraced this profession as a way to make a living, and they present themselves in one way, but truly in their hearts they trust and believe in other things, that they really don't believe in the living God as you think they do or as they advertise that they do. This is a very sad reality, and I'm not telling you this to condemn anybody. I'm telling you this only to mention, only to express the point that you don't have to be saved in order to participate in Christianity today. You don't. And if that's the case, then there must be something else. There must be something different that only a believer can experience. There must be a type of service that only a believer can truly do. And I believe this service has to do with first being served by your God, and second, to live out of the abundance of what he has served you with. And then, as you live on the basis of what you have been given by your God, you will find that your entire life is changed and transformed. It will be by him personally. He will prepare works for you to do. He will prepare opportunities for you to serve him. But through him doing this within and through you, out of the abundance of what he has given, and out of him expressing himself truly within and through you, the revelation of the living God will be manifested as the invisible God manifests himself in a visible way within and through you, you who are his creation, so that others can have an opportunity to truly hear him, and his spirit will speak to them in conjunction with you speaking to them and him speaking within and through you to them, there will be a confirmation to the extent where the Holy Spirit of God will testify within them. And when that happens, that is a service. That is a work that can only happen by his Spirit. And through that, others may turn to him for who he is so that they also may come to know who he is in a personal, intimate way. And this is something that can only be real through a true believer And this can only be real in a true believer when this believer truly believes that they have been reconciled to God, that he no longer holds their sins against them because he died on the cross for all of their sins, because the blood of Christ was adequate to resolve the sin issue completely. And so it is only then that a believer can experience this service that an unbeliever can never possibly come close to experiencing. And so this is the issue that I would like to encourage you to consider. And that is that the sin issue is truly over. And because of that, you can now be set free because there is no unresolved sin in your conscience. I'm not saying that you don't have sin in your life. I certainly have plenty of it myself. I'm only saying that between you and your God, instead of living a life of trying to find a way to be reconciled, you can now live a life of thankfulness. And in that life of thankfulness, it is not a life of ignoring your sin or suggesting that it is not truly as evil as it really is. It is only to say that this is a life of thankfulness 
where you live a life of humbleness and peace and joy because of who he is. And you cling to him for who he is. And he loves you and embraces you as your God. But to truly experience this, you must remember something that is of great importance, especially when it comes to the issues of sin in your life and when you start to believe that perhaps you are separated from his love because of your sin, because you begin to forget that you are reconciled to him because of his death, not because of the absence of sin in your life. And so this is what you must remember, that you do not impose laws on yourself as your way of life. And you do not believe there is any sin that will separate you from your God in any way. You must live in peace and thankfulness and enjoy your God for who he is. He can be trusted to conform you to his image and he reflects himself within and through you as you depend and trust on him. And so let go of the old way of living and enter into the new life in Christ. And you will then discover what he will do in your life, but not before. You must first enter in to the new life that he has provided for you. And you cannot do that until you let go of the sin issue, until you truly trust in the forgiveness that you have. I have done a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness where I have addressed a number of the most common beliefs that people hold to that prevents them from truly believing in the forgiveness that they have. Again, as I was explaining earlier, it's not so much a matter of people believing that they are completely forgiven. It's all the other things that they believe that leads them to believe that they are not completely forgiven. It's all the additional things. And so I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs. You can get those on my website in the radio archive, or you can contact me and I can send you some CDs on that subject. Another good follow-up to this program would be the series that I did on the will of God and also the series of programs that I did on our identity in Christ. Those also would be very helpful if you're interested in further study on the things that I mentioned in this broadcast. But until the next broadcast, I do pray that you will continue to discover the many things that you have in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,